You are listening to the final episode, episode 25 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Keep listening at the end for a message from the author. Chapter 49, Diurnia Orbital, 2358, November 16th. After all the excitement, the actual final approach and docking with Diurnia was pretty anticlimactic. David got out of the auto dock after a full day in the can. He was still in a lot of pain and just stayed in the treatment booth for the better part of the following week. He never did get approved for active duty again before we docked, so Ms. DeGroote handled the first mate chores for docking and did a bang-up job of it. Mel had placed a call to the Orbital's med facility a couple of stands before we picked up the tugs, and two green-smocked medicos were waiting on the dock with customs inspectors. The medicos had a kind of one-person grav pallet, which they floated up to officer country. They grabbed a copy of the auto dock's records and strapped David Burnside down on the transporter. By the time Freddy had the customs people happy and the embargo locker secured, the medics were only waiting for the official say-so to float him off the ship. The captain did emerge from the cabin in time to take his seat during the navigation detail, but contributed no more to the evolution than he had on undocking. At least when he left the bridge, he didn't call me into the cabin. I wasn't sure if that was a good sign or not, but I suspect that he didn't want to be slowed down on his exit from the ship. According to Ms. Deng, he had the medical staff wait until he was clear of the ship before taking David off for evaluation and treatment. At the speed he was moving, that wasn't a long wait, but it was still the principle of the thing. I know the senior officer has precedent for entering or leaving a vessel, but to jump ahead of the ambulance line? That was just low. With both of them physically off the ship, that put Mel officially in charge, and she set about organizing the rest of the crew. Liberty had been delayed while the Confederation officials certified the embargo, and Third Watch had the duty. Before we even really got settled, Juliet bit me on my tablet. Jeff Maloney on the dock wants the OOD. I knew the name, of course, and forwarded the message to Mel so she'd know. When I rounded the corner and headed for the lock, I honestly didn't know what to expect. It certainly wasn't Harvey Blaylock and his bodyguard, Kurt. I must have looked confused as I approached the brow. Juliet looked concerned, and I could see her trying to figure out how to get the man mountain out of the lock if things went woolly. It all clicked for me when Kurt gave me one of his small smiles. I stuck out my hand to his employer and said, Mr. Maloney, I presume. Nice to see you again, sir. He had a pleasant enough smile and certainly looked very much at ease standing in the lock of one of his own ships. Mr. Wong, he said, I'm sorry I wasn't able to get to know you more on the way out from Newmar. Business, you know. I turned to Kurt and gave him an appropriately low bow. Thank you for your lessons. They were very useful. He actually smiled and returned the bow. Still teacher to student, but at least not master to apprentice. How can I help you, Mr. Maloney? I asked. Has any of the crew left the ship except for Rossett and Burnside? He asked. I looked to Juliet, who replied, No, sir. Liberty has not yet been declared, and no personnel have left on ship's business. Very good, Maloney said. Would you close the lock and seal it, Mr. Huang? And would you ask Ms. Manus to join us on the bridge? Ms. Jackson, I said to her. Close and seal, aye, sir, she replied. She set words to actions, and the lock hummed shut with a thunk. "'One other thing, Miss Jackson,' I said. "'Sar,' she asked. "'Have you ever met Jeff Maloney or seen a picture of him? "'Are you prepared to identify this gentleman as who he claims to be?' I asked. "'Sar?' she squeaked in alarm. 
Do you know if this man is really Jeff Maloney, Miss Jackson? Have you ever met him before or seen him on the ship? I asked again. No, sir, I've never met the owner. I cannot confirm that this man is Jeff Maloney, she said. In that case, would you contact home office and have them confirm the identity of these gentlemen, please, Miss Jackson? Juliet blanched, and I saw Kurt's lips twitch just very slightly. Jeff Maloney, on the other hand, stared at me like I'd grown another head. Mr. Huang, are you insane? he asked. Quite likely, sir, I said. But until I can confirm who you are, I'd really prefer not to let you loose in the ship or release you to the dock. He started to say something, but stopped, his mouth half open. You're a strange man, Mr. Huang, he said finally. Thank you, sir, I told him with a small bow. So I've been told. Behind me I heard footsteps, and Freddy stepped up beside me. Hello, Jeff, she said with a smile. Fancy meeting you here. Hello, Freddy, he answered with a cockeyed grin. Your Mr. Wong here won't let me on the ship until I can verify my identity. Is that true, Ishmael? she asked, turning those startlingly green eyes on me. Well, of course, I said with a shrug. I've never met the man before. Some guy walks into the lock, claims he's Jeff Maloney, and wants to meet on the bridge? I shrugged. I may be a boot third, but I'm not a stupid boot third. Kurt's lips twitched again, and for that matter, so did Freddy's. Thank you, Ishmael, she said. That was rather fast thinking. But will you accept my personal assurances that this is in fact Jeff Maloney, owner of Diurnia Salvage and Transport, and registered owner of the William Tinker? Of course, I said. Juliet, belay that last order. Aye, sir, she said, with something akin to relief and disbelief on her face. Freddy, Mr. Maloney asked, could we convene the officers on the bridge, please? Of course, Jeff, she said graciously. Ishmael, would you have Mel and Arletta meet us upstairs in five ticks? My pleasure, I said, and pulled out my tablet to flash a quick message. Freddy smiled at Juliet before turning to the guests. Gentlemen, I believe you know the way, she asked, and extended a welcoming hand, ushering them onto the ship. As they walked into the ship, Maloney leading the way with Kurt at his shoulder, Freddy turned to me with the strangest smile and just shook her head before following them aboard. When we got to the bridge... Mel and Arletta were already there. Freddy served as hostess and made the introductions. Amelia Manus, chief engineer and senior officer present, she said. This is the owner, Jeff Maloney. Mel shook hands with him and murmured, Pleased to meet you, Mr. Maloney. Arletta Novea, second mate, astrogation, Freddy said, indicating Arletta. Arletta looked a little dazed. It's not every day one gets to meet the owner of a shipping line. Thank you all, Maloney said when the introductions were done. I'll keep this brief because I know you have a crew that needs to get ashore. Your turnaround time is going to be a bit delayed this trip, so they'll have a day or two on the other end to make up for not getting off the ship sooner. He said this with a smile, but he really did understand the importance of liberty. As of this moment, with you as witnesses and with the authority as the owner of this vessel, I hereby relieve Captain Leon Rossett of his duty as captain of this vessel, pursuant to the rules and regulations set forth under the Confederated Planets Joint Committee on Trade, and in accordance with the terms of his contract. In the absence of a commanding officer, I further hereby appoint Chief Engineer Amelia Manus acting captain until such time as an individual holding appropriate master certification can be hired. Until that time, this ship may not get underway for any reason except those required for maintenance of the ship or the station. Maloney stopped and looked around at our faces. Mel looked stunned. Freddy looked, well, like Freddy. And Arletta still had that dazed, I can't believe I met the owner look. Apparently satisfied by what he'd seen, he turned toward Mel and continued, Ms. Manus, as acting captain, it is within your purview to release first mate David Burnside from his contract, and, as owner, I encourage you to do so. He paused, weighing his words. 
Okay, folks, here's the deal, he said, abandoning the officialese. We know that Rossett's an idiot and that Burnside is a criminal. We know he ordered that poor woman to be beaten on break-all. We know he ordered attacks on at least three other crew. But what we know and what we can prove in a court of law are two different things. All we can do, and what you people have given me, is an opportunity to cashier a captain who should have been let go a long time ago and get rid of the sadist that was pulling his strings. The Billy is a fine ship, and just walking up here from the lock, I'm gratified and I'm grateful for what you've accomplished. He looked around the bridge at us. It's going to be hard to watch them get away with it, but this I can promise you. Leon Rossett will lose his master's ticket for dereliction of duty in the face of emergency, and Daniel Burnside will be blacklisted from here to Gretna and back. I can't pull his ticket, but I can sure punch his clock, he said with a very vicious grin. What I'm giving you is the billy. We need to find a captain and fill in some holes in the crew roster. I suspect we'll have a pretty good migration of hands off the ship between the change of command and the newly raided spacers you've managed to trade up out there in the deep dark. So you'll have your work cut out for you. But you've worked a miracle here. I'm sure you're up for the rest. He looked around once more. Any questions, he asked. We all said no, sir. Well then, Miss Manus, it's your baby for the moment. I'll try not to keep you in the hot seat any longer than necessary. She smiled. Thank you, Mr. Maloney. It'll be a good opportunity to clean house. You have my complete backing, Amelia. If you need anything, call. I'll have my personal contact ID sent to your tablet. She nodded her thanks. Mr. Wong, if you'd walk me back to the lock and ask your formidable Miss Jackson to let us go. Mel looked shocked. But Freddy just smiled that Freddy smile, and her green eyes twinkled at me. Of course, Mr. Maloney, right this way, I said, and I led them down off the bridge. When we got to the lock, I had Juliet open up, and I walked them outside. Mr. Wong, I wanted to thank you personally, Maloney said, and apologize for setting you up. Sar? I've been trying to get rid of Leon Rossett for the last five Staniers, but contrary to popular belief, I can't just fire a captain because I don't like him. It's a so-called safeguard built into the CPJCT rules. The captain is the ultimate authority while underway. It's almost impossible for the owner to fire a captain for actions that happen in the deep dark, except under some very specific circumstances. So long as the ship violated no safety regulations, turned a profit, and delivered the goods on time, my hands were tied. He looked angry. According to the law, he wasn't derelict until he didn't assume the watch when Burnside was injured. That was enough for me to relieve him on a conduct-unbefitting charge. There isn't a skipper in the fleet, nor a bureaucrat in the Joint Committee on Trade, that would argue with me. It's slim, but it's legal. And I can finally nail his worthless hide to a bulkhead without my own lawyers turning blue from apoxia. Why me, sir? I asked. He shook his head and grimaced. The Billy has such a bad reputation on the docks, I was never able to get anybody with the combination of savvy, strength, and charisma to be able to break through to the crew. He paused, looking at me as if considering how much to tell me. But he continued, I was in Port Newmar for the biennial meeting of the Subcommittee on Rules when I heard of the latest fiasco with the Billy. Since I was there anyway, I went to visit Bob Jagone. I told him what I was up against, and I asked for a recommendation for one of his new crop of third mates. I needed somebody who'd think on his feet, stand by his word, and do the needful. 
I wanted somebody who wouldn't go in with an axe to grind or a chip on his shoulder, and who wouldn't be the next victim on the hit parade. Bob recommended you, Maloney smiled. I have to give him credit for knowing his graduates. Thank you, Sar, I said. He grinned. Yes, well, getting you to die Ernie in time to catch the Billy was pretty easy, too. Bill Laughlin is a crackerjack skipper, and he managed to get us in a couple of days early so you'd have time to get settled and catch the Billy. I arranged to get Miss Jaffe out of your way and then left the wheels to turn. And set me up as a stocking goat, I said. Kurt's mouth twitched in amusement. Maloney had the decency to look embarrassed. Yes, that too. It was an act of desperation. He paused and looked at me. You gave me what I needed, Mr. Wong. I'm only sorry that we didn't get to it before Miss Davies was injured. I had no idea they'd go so far. Although in hindsight I should have anticipated it, I suppose, he said with a regretful sigh. She's made a full recovery, by the way. We've kept her on full pay, and we'll take care of her expenses. Nothing can pay for the pain she's been through, but we can at least try to make things better for her going forward, and we will. I'll tell the other Sar, I said. I'll have my private contact ID sent to your tablet as well, Mr. Wong. I owe you for helping me get that ship back. Please let me know if I can help you. Thank you, Sar, I said. I only did what needed doing. He chuckled at that, up to and including restraining the owner and his bodyguard until you could ascertain his identity. You wouldn't have thanked me for letting someone steal the billy, Sar. Kurt almost snorted at that one, but Maloney barked a laugh. True enough, Mr. Wong, he said. True enough. He looked back at the ship and said, You better get on with things here. I think Miss Jackson is becoming concerned. I smiled. She is a bit protective, Sar. He chuckled, and as he turned to go, I thought of something. Mr. Maloney, I called, there is one thing. He stopped and turned back to me. Yes, Mr. Huang. Can you get me an introduction to a good tailor here in Diurnia? Chapter 50 Diurnia Orbital, 2358, November 26th. Say what you will about how boring it is to be underway. Being docked for a week is enough to drive you crazy. The watches are long and really boring. I felt most sorry for the brow watchstanders. Those people got to sit in the drafty lock for 12 stands at a time and just watch nothing happen. They got relieved for meals and head breaks, and that was about it was a good chance to study, but deadly dull after the 8th or ninth. That's not to say our time in port was all dull. The first excitement was cleaning out the cabin. There was precious little that he actually left in there that was personal. Mal appointed a couple of enginemen to help Arletta and I clean out the personal effects. Bayless and Simon certainly knew their way around the place, and I sensed a certain satisfaction in the way they almost folded Rossett's clothing and jammed it into the grav trunks. Neither our letter nor I noticed when the two of them discovered the video archive. The captain apparently liked to keep a record of his interviews. A few of the items may have been damaged in transit. We never did find out what the captain had been doing in there for week after week. I did discover that he had a huge personal archive of books. Most of them seemed to be romance novels written by the same author, Lenora Rossetti. I copied his entire library out of the ship's system and burned the archive onto a permanent medium. That all went into the grav trunk, too. It didn't take us long to clear the stuff out of the cabin, and when the four of us were done and the trunks locked for transport, we got Ula to organize a cleaning party. 
Freddy took some interest in this part of the activity and was soon up to her armpits in soapy water with the rest of them. Two days after that, Mr. Maloney was back to announce the appointment of Captain Frederica de Groot. It was a surprise to most of the crew, but I was pleased beyond all measure. She was a marvel. I just followed her around and watched her work with the crew. If she'd been an invisible entity before, now she was a glowing star. One of the big surprises for me was Epona's. I figured that once Freddie was made captain, Epona's would be history. She did something to him, though. I don't know exactly what. It started with that very first watch when she'd made him change his ship suit on watch. She never raised her voice to him again, as far as I ever heard. But while he might have been Burnside's man before, he was Freddie's man now. He was universally polite, wore a clean ship suit all the time, and bounced to Freddie's beck and call. We were all a little leery, but Freddie was serenely unconcerned. Oh, he's just a good boy who fell in with the wrong crowd, she told me one day when I asked. He only needs a strong hand and high expectations. Of course, once there was a captain in place, things moved a little more expeditiously. Arletta was named first mate, and there was another cleaning party to empty Burnside's stateroom. Not as big as the cabin, it was still the largest of the staterooms, and it had a private bath. After the loose clothing and miscellaneous personal effects were dumped into the grav trunk and trundled to the DST office for disposition, copious amounts of soap, water, disinfectant, and other cleaners were applied to every surface. Freddy and then Arletta moved, and their staterooms were cleaned as well. For some reason, nobody felt the need to fumigate those. A simple sweep and swab was sufficient. While we were docked, some of the crew took advantage of their new ratings to find better jobs, but it wasn't as many as I expected. Mallory was one of the first to leave, which left room for Betts or Jackson to move up. Freddie asked them to decide which one would get the new job, and Betts bowed out. Jackson had seniority. I thought he'd leave the ship then and find his own slot, but he didn't. When the dust had settled, we lost about five or six ratings, but that made room for some of our newer ratings to actually realize their new pay grades. More problematic was finding a new second mate to replace Arletta. There wasn't a plethora of qualified seconds floating around Diurnia, but within a couple of days they found a skinny drink of water with shocking red hair, feet the size of lifeboats, and a sense of humor that was frankly disturbing. He went by the unlikely name of Chauncey Schott. It was inevitable that his nickname was Long. Eventually, we got the personnel issues resolved, the crew roster filled in, and a cargo lined up. I could already feel the ship beginning to come to life. I stood on the bridge waiting for the last import backups to finish when the captain came up the ladder and we stood together looking aft out into the deep dark. It's a lovely sight, isn't it, Ishmael? she asked. Well, I haven't grown tired of it yet, Captain, I told her with a satisfied smile. When I first started, I thought I might. I could see her smile in the faint reflection of the armor glass. Seeing her standing there, eyes gleaming in the light of the displays, serene in the mantle of Captain, she was magnificent, and I felt honored to be in her company. I slipped a small bundle from the pocket of my ship suit and offered it to her. She looked at it, laying there in my open palm, and then at me. What's this? I think this belongs to you, Captain, I told her. I've been carrying it for a long time. What is it? she asked, curiosity lighting her face. I held my hand up closer to her. Open it and see, I said. 
She lifted it delicately from my palm and examined the string and wrappings in the lowered light, holding it up and turning it this way and that. She turned to me and said, Thank you. We don't know what it is yet, I said, chuckling in protest. Her face crinkled in a smile, and she pulled the string that loosed the knot. She carefully unrolled the soft fabric from around the small figure within. I could hear her breath catch, and the glinting lights from the displays gleamed off the polished wood and reflected on the bit of shell at the heart. In her hand, an owl sat perched on a stylized limb, the lambent glow around us showing the delicately carved feathering and the graceful curves of the head and the back. Talons gripped the wood, each toe articulated to show the power in that wooden grasp. "'Is it a Welkie?' she asked. "'Yes, Captain.' "'I've heard of them,' she said, wonder in her voice as she turned it this way and that to catch the light. "'I thought they were a myth.' I held up my dolphin. "'No myth, Captain,' I told her. Her eyes widened slightly at the smooth, oiled wood of the dolphin, and she glanced into my eyes and back to the dolphin, then back to her owl. "'How?' she asked. "'Long story.' but the lowest visited St. Cloud while I was on her. I got these on that trip, along with some others. I intended them as trade goods, but I was never able to sell them. This is worth a fortune, Ishmael, she said, blinking in realization of what she held in her hand. I can't possibly. Do you know the story of Welkies, Captain? I asked her. Story? she asked. Legend has it that the Welkie finds the person who needs it, I said. Then what does it do? she asked. I shrugged. I don't know. It's kind of a totem, perhaps a spirit guide. The shaman carves the spirit of the animal out of the wood and places the shell to give it heart. The deeper the purple of the shell, the more powerful the spirit. My words sounded odd in that technological space. Two people around a flickering fire of display monitors and console repeaters. We stood in the internal night of space, in a bubble of air held by fragile metal, glass, and composite shell. I felt a moment of almost dizziness as I realized that while the planet seemed huge when compared to the ship, they weren't that much different in size when compared to the vastness of the deep dark. Both just pinpricks of life. Both fragile. Why me? she asked at last breaking the dim silence that held us together. I don't know, I answered. I could feel the smile tugging my lips. It just seemed right to me. She gazed at it for a moment and then looked at me. Thank you, Ishmael, she said at last. You're welcome, Captain. We stood there on the bridge, the moment passing. Reality edged back into the world around us. She carefully rewrapped the welkie and tied it off again, slipping it into a pocket of her shipsuit. I just held my dolphin, as I had so often before. The smooth wood was warm from my touch. Why did you decide to go to the academy, she asked, after a couple of ticks. I snorted. Alice Jacone is a very persuasive woman. She chuckled at that. Yes, she is, but still. Why? We had a saying on the Lois McKendrick, I told her. We used to say, trust Lois. Whenever things went wrong or right or east or west and we didn't know what to do, we'd say, trust Lois, and everybody would do what needed to be done, and we pulled through. So you applied that principle to going to the academy, she said. Yes, 
A lot of people thought I should go. People I respected. Even loved. They thought it was something that would be good for me, and even if I couldn't see it, I needed to trust Lois. So I went to the academy. She looked at me for several heartbeats, weighing me with her gaze. You're a dangerous man, Mr. Huang, she said at last. A very dangerous man. Thank you all for listening to Double Share. Now that the story is over, please let me know how you liked it. If you got the book through patiobooks.com, please rate it on its title page. If you're listening through iTunes, please take a couple of ticks and leave a review. I'd love to hear from each of you. The music is a collection of jigs used by permission of the band Great Big C. Find this and other songs by Great Big C on music.podshow.com or on the band's website at greatbigc.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. To learn more about the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit the Trader's Diary at www.solarclipper.com. Thanks again for listening.